Well, some big changes in uh, in my life. As a lot of you know, on September 1st, I cut back to part-time here at Orchard. I'm now uh, working two-thirds time. So what that means is um, that you're only going to get two-thirds of a sermon today. <laughs> so we should be out of here by about... When Sally and I got married, uh, we had the uh, the good fortune to be able to vacation often in Florida where Sally's aunt and uncle lived, and they were wonderful hosts. And they lived on an island uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. I think we have a, a picture of it here, a place called Honeymoon Island. And this condo complex, one end of the island was a bird sanctuary and a beautiful beach. And we just loved going down there. And for me, it was a chance to kind of forget about church stuff and just kind of unwind had a beautiful swimming pool there that was just, you know, 10 yards or so, I suppose, from the seawall with the gulf beyond it. And uh, especially my daughter, Amy, when she was little, uh, loved the water, loved going to the beach, loved going to the swimming pool. So we'd spend a lot of time at the pool. And in the afternoons, the older uh, ladies would come and they'd sit around the pool. Of course, they never went in the in in the water, but they would spend the afternoon there talking. And they had this, you know, sort of leather baked skin and uh, and pink lipstick and a lot of uh, blue eyeshadow on. And Amy, being this sort of social butterfly, would just go up to to one of the women and she'd ask, you know, how old are you and do you have a boyfriend? Questions like that. One of the things that I did regularly when we'd go down there for a couple of weeks, even though I was trying to kind of unwind from church stuff, was it seemed like a good opportunity for me to kind of uh, recharge my own soul and my relationship with God. So each time we'd go down there, I'd pick a, a passage of scripture that I wanted to read and study and think about. And I remember one year, and this was probably 40 years ago, um, I decided I was going to read First and Second Timothy and really try to understand those two little letters in the back of the of the New Testament that were written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor in Ephesus. And I was a young pastor at that point, and I thought, this is probably going to have some some bearing on my life and ministry. So I started reading, and it was just amazing. I, I felt like I was so much like Timothy, dealing with a lot of the issues that, that he was dealing with. And I'm reading through, and I came to, then to started Second Timothy. And I got to Second Timothy 1.7, and it was like God said, Ed, this is for you. Second Timothy 1.7 says, you know, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I, I can't uh, overemphasize how impacting that was on my life. If I were going to make a list of the things that I needed from God at that point in my life and at that point in my ministry, I mean, those would be the very things that I would desire from God. And here's God saying, you know, I gave you my spirit, not so that you would be timid, but that so that you would have power and love and self-control. As Doug mentioned, we are in a series now about life verses, and Ben shared his at the beginning of the service. For many of us, I think we would say that there were times in our lives where God just sort of grabbed hold of a, of a verse or a passage in the Bible and laid it on our hearts. And that was certainly true for me back those 40 years ago with 2 Timothy 1.7. 
And so as we are encouraging all of you to think about, is there some verse, some passage that God might have used in my life that way or might in the future use in that way, we wanted to share with you our own life verses. So I want to take these few minutes that we have this morning to think with you about what I have been learning in these last decades about 2 Timothy 1.7. One of the things we got to begin with is understanding that when God says he gave us a spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is that part of God who has always been at work in the world. The Holy Spirit of God was involved with God the Father and God the Son in creation. Says in Genesis, you know, the first chapter, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit was moving upon the face of the waters. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come powerfully upon God's people to enable them to serve God in particular ways at a particular time. But everything changed radically in the New Testament after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus when in a new way God sent His Holy Spirit upon believers and it empowered them and changed their lives drastically. And God is saying to Timothy through the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God that God gives to you is not a spirit of timidity. That is, it is, it's not a spirit that's meant for the timid. The Holy Spirit of God is meant to give you boldness. And I would guess that a lot of you are like me. You don't think of yourselves as being a bold person. I'm not. I am an introvert. I am a shy person. And for me to be able to read that God is giving His Spirit not so that we can stay timid, but to give us boldness had a huge impact on me. As I read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, where it describes what it was like for those first followers of Jesus when they received the Holy Spirit in this new way, it just motivated me so strongly you may remember a couple months ago I talked about the story at the beginning of Acts where Peter and John heal a man who is lame, who's begging there at the, at the gate into the temple courtyard, a gate called Beautiful. And after that, when, when they healed this man, they went into the temple courtyards and they began to preach the word of God to proclaim the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ to assert boldly and confidently that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. They had received the Holy Spirit of God and it gave them boldness. In chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed these truths saying that that there is no one else other than Jesus Christ, that He is the Messiah. Now remember, this was just shortly after Jesus has been crucified by the Roman leaders. And they thought when they executed Jesus that that would put an end to this controversy and heresy claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. But it had just the opposite effect. The resurrection of Jesus was such an evidence to people there in Jerusalem that many people, through the bold preaching of the apostles, became Christians thousands at a time. And as they saw the miracles being performed by the apostles, they were convinced that God really was in this and that what they were saying was true. 
Now, the Jewish leaders were, again, very upset about this. And so we find in chapter 4 of Acts that they, in fact, arrest Peter and some of the other apostles. It says that it's late in the day, so they just put them in prison overnight. The next day, they bring them out, and they command them very specifically that they are not to preach about Jesus anymore. And Peter and the others respond, we can't stop doing it. So they warn them, and because the people are so witnesses to the miracles that they've been performing, they release Peter and the other disciples. And what do they do? They go right back and continue preaching as they had been before. In fact, it says that when they met together praying together, here's what it says in chapter 4, verse 32. It says, as they were praying, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives boldness to his people. So they go right back out to the temple courtyards again. And again, the leaders, their supreme court, their Congress for the Jews called the Sanhedrin was very upset. Again, they arrest Peter and some of the other disciples and they put them in prison. And the next day, the leaders meet together and they say, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to put an end to this controversy, this heresy once and for all. And they say, guards, go and get those guys out of the out of the prison cell and bring them here before us. And the guards go down to the prison cell And there are the guards standing there outside the cell. And the cell is locked and the disciples are gone. Because during the night, God, through one of his angels, freed them from the from the prison. And what did they do when they were freed? The angel said, now go back and keep talking about Jesus. And so the the guards come back and say, I don't know what happened, but they're not there anymore. And the leaders of the Jews can't, can't understand what's happening. And then somebody comes and says, you know those guys you arrested yesterday? They're, they're back in the temple courtyard again talking about Jesus. So again, they send guards there and they bring Peter and the other disciples before them. And they threaten them. And their desire is at that point to do to them exactly the same thing that they had done to Jesus. They believe that if they execute these believers, that maybe that'll be an end to it. And Peter and the other disciples say, we're, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do what God tells us to do. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 29 of Acts, it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And so they, they send the, they send the uh, disciples out of the room and they talk together. And one of the wise Jewish leaders named Gamaliel says, you know, I know we got to put a stop to this, but he says, I just want to give this warning. It may be that they are really preaching the word of God, the truth. And if so, you don't want to be found opposing God. That puts a little bit of the fear of the Lord in them. So they bring the disciples back in. And again, they command them not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And even though they've been found guilty of nothing, there's been no trial. They flog them. They beat them. A lot of us a few years ago saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ. We know what, what a beating like that can be. People died from those kinds of floggings. They were maimed and injured for life. That's what they did to the disciples. And then they sent them away and they said, no more, no more teaching, no more healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And what did the disciples do? They thanked God. Let me just, this just blows my mind. It says in chapter 5, verse 41. So they left the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. I tell you, I read that. It it affects me that these guys who had been beaten almost to the to the point where they died from the beating rejoiced and thanked God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ and they would not stop. When I read 2 Timothy 1.7 and saw that God had given us not a spirit of timidity but a boldness, I knew that's what I needed and that's what I wanted in my life. So what is that, what is that boldness going to look like then for us as Christians today? And he mentions those three things. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control. Back when I was first reading that verse, I was reading it out of the Revised Standard Version. That's what that RSV stands for. Today, we usually use the international, New International Version, which says rather than self-control, it says self-discipline. But the idea is the same, that the Spirit of God comes upon us and it helps us to live a disciplined life. Is that something you need? It is certainly something that I need to be disciplined in my Christian life. I've had a great experience this past year. Matt Strayer and I meet with another guy named Carl Baker each week for what Orchard Hill calls a G2 group, which stands for, you know, it's spiritual growth group. We meet intentionally to encourage each other in our Christian life. And two weeks ago, on the 26th, the day that we were meeting at the Gallagher Blue Dorn for the gathering, Carl was, uh, was racing in an Ironman triathlon. If you're not familiar with those are like, Incredible. It starts out, you, you swim two and a half miles, then you bike 112 miles, and then you get off your bike and you run a marathon. And uh, Carl gutted that out for 13 hours. And one of the exciting things for me, and I think for Matt would say the same thing, you know, just hearing Matt and being, hearing Carl and being with him every week during those months and months of training, I was so impressed by his self-discipline. He had a trainer, and what the trainer told him to do, he did it. He never cheated. He never cheated. I even tried to tempt him a few times with sweets and things. He would not do it. No matter how he felt that day, he was going to do what the trainer told him he was supposed to do that day to get ready for that Ironman triathlon. And I'll tell you, that inspired me. And at those times when I was... Tempted by the donuts. You know, I'd think about Carl. And it, I've lost 10 pounds this year just from meeting with him every week. Because <laughs> that's that, that kind of self-discipline, that kind of self-control is something that I want to have in my life. And not just physically, but spiritually and morally as well. I debated whether or not to, to confess something to you. And I'm going to do it. Because it's an area where I need uh, discipline and self-control. A lot of you know, a year or so ago, I bought a different car. And I was in the car uh, one day driving, and I turned on the radio and just checking out the, the preset buttons for the different stations. And one of them was a country music station. And I should have turned it off right then. I knew I should. 
But I thought, all right, I'm stronger than this. I'm stronger than this. I just won't listen to it anymore. But I found myself the next day just, you know, kind of pushing that button. All right, I'm just going to see what it's like. And I started doing that more and more. And it's like it got a grip on me. And I couldn't stop. And I found myself all the time. First thing when I do, when I'd get in the car, start the engine, I'd push that country music station button. It got to the point where it had such a grip on me that I found myself singing those songs to myself, you know, when I was alone. And nobody else was in the car. Seriously, I think there are things in our lives where we need a kind of self-discipline and self-control that God's Holy Spirit wants to give us. You know, what, what is it in your life? What is that area of your life where you just struggle and you know what you're doing and the way that you're acting or the way that you're thinking? You know, It's not good for you and it's not pleasing to God. God says one of the things that His Holy Spirit wants to do for you is to give you self-control, to give you self-discipline. That's God's desire. That's what He's wanting to be doing in your life, to give you that kind of self-control, that kind of self-discipline. So God's Spirit then gives us a boldness to discipline our lives. In fact, the Bible gives a really interesting and I think helpful contrast in Ephesians chapter 5:22 it says, "Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." And he's contrasting what a life is like when it's when it's the life of a drunk as opposed to the life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And what's a characteristic of this inebriated life? One characteristic is that those people lose their inhibitions. They do things that they would never do under any other circumstances. When Sally and I first got married, we were living in uh, the poorest section of a really ritzy uh, suburb of in North Chicago, Lake Forest, Illinois. And um, Sally was teaching at the high school. Sometimes we would get invited to dinner parties at these very big elaborate homes. And they would start drinking, you know, before the meal. And then they'd drink during the meal. And then they would drink after the meal. And sometimes a really uncomfortable thing would happen in that as they would become less and less um, inhibited, knowing that I was you know, studying to become a pastor, they would start confessing to me things in their lives, things they would never say if they hadn't been drunk. And then on Monday, Sally would go to school and these teachers would be really uncomfortable you know, with Sally because they realized what they had done, you know. I think that's characteristic of that kind of life that God is saying. This is an example of what you don't want to be. You don't want to be in a life where you don't have control. Rather, when the Holy Spirit fills you, when God gives us that spirit, he gives us control. And I think what, what I mean when I talk about being self-controlled or self-disciplined is that I am enabled by the Holy Spirit of God to choose to do the thing that God's spirit would lead me to do. And that brings me to the, the second characteristic that Paul mentions, which is power. That the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be able to do the things that the Holy Spirit leads us to do. I remember back when I first read this verse, I was just starting to do more teaching and, and preaching in the church that I was serving at that time. And I have always been really comfortable in front of people. 
I'm, I'm shy and timid one-on-one, but give me a few hundred people and, you know, ten feet between me and them, I feel really confident and bold. I've always been a good public speaker and really enjoy doing it. But one of the things that I was realizing was that no matter how good a teacher is, it is impossible to do what you want to do. I mean, I think about the, the few hundred of us who are here today. We've got young people here in this service, you know, who are in grade school. We've got people who are retired and in their 70s and 80s. We've got people who have been Christians their whole lives, decade after decade, faithfully serving God. We've got people who aren't even Christians yet, who are still examining the Christian life. We've got people who know the Bible a whole lot better than I do. And we've got people who have no idea what the Bible is and what it's all about. And I realized it's impossible. It is impossible to stand up here and say something that's going to be meaningful to a group of people like you. And I realized that one of the things that I needed and desired so much from God was that His Spirit would take the words that I would say and He would empower them to reach out to people where they were. I needed that kind of empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And so finally, Paul says, the Holy Spirit of God, when He comes upon you and fills your life, He gives you the power and the boldness to follow His Spirit's leading. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do what? And the third thing He says is to love. To love. I think, I think people misread me. I think that people often see my shyness my timidness, and take it for humility. I think people sometimes see my emotionalism, my tears, as being signs of love. But I know in my life, I sometimes struggle to love people. And part of the problem is that I think about love as being an emotion, a feeling, when the Bible talks about love as being an action, a thing that we do. In fact, I've come to understand that there are people that I don't like, but that I love. People that I don't like, that I don't enjoy being with, with whom maybe I don't have much in common, but I am still called upon to love those people. That means I do for them the loving thing, even if the feeling is not there. That sounds pretty difficult, doesn't it? And it is. And that's why Paul says to this young pastor, you know, there are going to be people in your congregation that you don't like. Love them. Love them anyway. And so Paul pulls together all these truths that God gives you a spirit of boldness, Timothy, so that you don't have to be a shy person, so that you can do the bold thing. And here's what you're to do. This Holy Spirit is going to empower you So that you can have the self-discipline to choose to do the thing that the Holy Spirit leads you to do. And the thing again and again and again that the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead you to do is going to be to do the loving thing. Even for those people you don't like. Forty years ago, God planted that verse in my heart. And he has brought it to my mind countless times since then. So... I would say to you in regard to that verse, for those of you who are Christians, I would just really encourage you to pray to the Holy Spirit 
and ask him to fill you and to give you those things in your life that you need in order to live effectively for him. And for those of you who aren't yet Christians, who are maybe still kind of looking at Christianity, kind of investigating it, I would say to you, one of the neat things that you will experience when you become a Christian is that the spirit of the living God will come to indwell you and to help you in your life each day. We're encouraging all of you, all of us, to go back to the Bible and to say to God, you know, what are the verses that you've used in my life? What might be a verse that you would use in my life today and for the next five or ten years? And that as we do that, God is going to be doing some great things in our lives. So I want us just to join together in prayer, and I want to address this prayer specifically uh, to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, Holy Spirit, there's a lot about you that we don't understand, and we, we tend to focus so much on God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, but Holy Spirit, we believe in you, and we believe that you are the Spirit of God in the world today, and we need you, Holy Spirit. We confess to you that um, sometimes we do things that, that hurt you, that quench your power and effectiveness in us, and we apologize for that and we repent of it and we ask your forgiveness and we pray holy spirit that you would give us the kind of boldness that we hear about in in the lives of these first followers of yours we pray that you would give us the empowerment and the self-discipline and the love to serve you in a way that really honors jesus christ and that we can be you know light and salt in a dark and tasteless world We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.